Good morning. I am the Deacon of the Week. My name is Bill McCoy, and my phone number is up here on the screen. A uh, couple of real quick things. I wanted to say, first of all, we need van drivers. Uh, that, is a, that is a wonderful ministry, and, you know, we're all called to different things, but we need van drivers. So if that's something that God would lay on your heart, talk to Howard, and I'm sure he can get you fixed up. This is a new day in our church. This is a new year. This is exciting. But one thing that I think will make a tr any kind of a transition for us easier as we move forward. How many of you have a cell phone? How many of you have a smart cell phone? Okay. How many of you have the church app on your cell phone? Some of you do. Some of you don't. First things first, be sure and put the app on your phone. And then I would like to be sure that you go on there and there's a place you can go down through and you can look at our, uh, our membership, or, or not our membership, but you can look at our enrollment. And, and that's a good place to put your information. You can put your picture if you'd like. That's kind of nice because, you know, when we have a new pastor come, he's not going to know all of us. And so he's going to be able to cheat if he wants to and go through, look at the pictures. And, ah, now he can put a picture with a name, okay? So I want you to do that, as well as be sure the phone number and the email that's in there is current and up-to-date, because that's huge, and, you know, many times we're trying to make phone calls, and we can't make the phone calls because we don't have the right phone number, so we have to call Kathy and ask. So please do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the blessings that you have given to us. And, Father, as we begin this new journey... Father, I pray that we will begin this journey with you, with you leading and us following. And Father, I thank you for the opportunities that you give to us each and every day and help us to be a witness. We're, we're witnesses no matter what. I understand that. But Father, help us to be good witnesses for you. I ask these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Hello. Thank you, Vanna. Good morning. Uh, for those that don't know me, my name is Tony Bullock, and I, uh, I am on the committee for Experiencing God. You may have seen on our uh, Facebook page, on the church's website, on out here in the lobby, that we are getting ready to start the Experiencing God small groups. And the experience, Experiencing God in small groups is uh, a study to, to know God and to do his will. Church launch for this for this study, in fact, is February the 19th. Uh, we are nearing 20 homes. Uh, we would love to have some more homes that would be willing to take groups into their homes. Uh, so that's something that we want you to pray about um, and just say yes to. And not only that, we're also preparing to start signing up folks into these group homes. So out here in the lobby, we, have, we still have sign-ups for group leaders and group homes. We also have signups for uh, you to start getting into uh, a group. Now, dates and times are still fluctuating on that. So the church app will, will potentially be able to provide contact through the church, through your leaders of your group, and to you. So that's another reason, Bill, to download the church app. Um, study materials in this case are going to be purchased or available to be purchased at Bread of Life Bookstore. Um, 
So there's also potentially planning center, which our church utilizes. We might have details and be able to allow contact through that. Um, please pray about how God is planning on using you in this study, praying that our hearts are open, prepared for how God intends for this body to receive and share the anointing that's sure to follow from experiencing God. Thank you. Um, we want you to please be part of experiencing God. Good morning. My name's Daniel Wilson, uh, chairman of the pastor search committee, and hopefully this is the last time that you see me make an announcement on Sunday morning in this capacity. Um, we have had an outstanding weekend um, with Pat and Becca and the kids. Um, provide a lot of opportunities to come and meet them, hear their story. Um, if you have not, for whatever reason, had the opportunity uh, to hear that story, uh, we want this Sunday morning service to look as close to what service is going to look like if you, the church, call Pat to be our next pastor. So Pat's not going to give his bio in the sermon. He's going to preach a great sermon. Um, so if you have not heard the story, after you, when you get home today, go to the website, patfinley.com. The bio's on there. Um, so uh, there's not going to be another introduction of Pat. So Pat, after the song, Only a God Like You, come right on up. Uh, and dive in so we don't run too far over time. Um, quick reminder tonight, three or this afternoon, three o'clock, special business meeting to answer the question, the church to answer the question, is God calling Pat Finley to be our next pastor? Reminder, you have to be a church member to be able to vote. If you're not a church member, we'll have an invitation at the end of the service, join the church. Thank you. All right, let's all stand together. Our gospel reading this morning, comes from John chapter 1. Last week we wrapped up, uh, well, Jesus was baptized, and uh, so this, this is following that. Read with me, please. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. John 1, 29 through 34. Amen. You may be seated.
a child, he became like the least of us. Behold him, Jesus, Son of God, Messiah, the
Amen. Our psalm reading this morning comes from Psalm 40, and let's praise the Lord and remember, as David did as he wrote this, he uh, remembered how God had saved him and lifted him from the miry pit. Wow, we have some extra lights. Not sure how that happened. Let's read aloud together. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside the false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you plan for us. None can compare with you. Were they to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But my ears you have opened, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. Do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. Psalm 41 through 11. <laughs> Kingdoms of this world are 
kind of going to be hard to follow that, isn't it? We're going to sing now. Three-part harmony. You all know how this goes, right? Start with the high part. Only a God like you. Good morning. morning. Uh Uh-oh. Am I good? All right. Good morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 today. Uh, Thank you, Kevin and worship team. I think that may be the first time in my life I've successfully sung harmony. So I'm feeling just really good about the morning. So far, Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to be today. Uh, It's been an incredible weekend just getting to know people and getting to uh, share a little bit. And, uh, but I see a lot of faces that I've not had a chance to see. I know everybody's busy, so I look forward to getting to meet you all. I'm around. I'm here to meet and hang out and uh, answer questions. It's been a, a great weekend. There's just a lot of emotion with moving and the stuff that my family's thinking and praying through. So just keep praying for us. Uh, we're, a, we're a family that's called the ministry, and sometimes that road uh, looks unique, uh, but the Lord is good and it's always worth it. Amen. And so let's let the word of the Lord speak this morning. We're in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. Matthew was written by one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. And so the Gospel of Matthew is the spirit inspires it, has a special emphasis on my son's pens just went everywhere. It's good. And so, but the Gospel of Matthew has a special emphasis on promise and fulfillment. I mean, the Old Testament screams the reality that Jesus Christ is going to come and make a way for salvation to be made available to all peoples. And Matthew really wants his readers to understand that. And today's passage, in a really special way, connects the Old Testament with who Jesus is 
and then pushes it right forward to what you and I are to be doing with every day of our lives today. Today's message is entitled, From Confession to Commission. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 and following. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then Jesus ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The word of the Lord. Let me pray for us this morning. Now, Father God, I realize it's, it's view of a call Sunday, and there's the whole question, Lord, that we'll ask at 3 o'clock this afternoon, Father. But in these next few minutes, God, we just want to hear from you. Lord, louder than, than any man's voice in this room or through speakers as someone is watching, God, we'd ask that your spirit, Lord, would speak through your word. God, help us understand your word. Father, today, Lord, would you give us ears to hear and hearts that are ready to respond. God, every person is at a different place in their journey with you. Father, we just simply want to know today for each of us, what's the next step? What's the next step as we pursue a life that gives you all glory, honor, and praise. This is your pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning from this passage, going to ask three crucial questions. Uh, three crucial questions. If you're still exploring Christ, uh, these are the three crucial questions where it all begins. If you've known Christ for a long time, these are three questions that can always bring us back to right where God wants us to be. Three crucial questions this morning. Question number one, very simply, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Jump back to verse 13. Away from the clamor of the crowds, Jesus asked his disciples, uh, who do people say the Son of Man is? Son of Man was Jesus' favorite title for himself. And so Son of Man reminds us of the miracle of the incarnation we just celebrated at Christmas. Amen? Amen. Son of Man also reaches back to Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel had a vision of one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds to bring an everlasting kingdom. So Jesus says, like, what's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? And they give some answers. They say, well, some say John the Baptist, uh, he'd been murdered by this point, so maybe he's back from the dead. We, they heard God was good at that. Um, others say Elijah, the prophet, back from the dead. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. I mean, there was this reality that Jesus was doing something special as a spokesman for God. But to think that he's just a prophet, it's to fall way short of who he really is. So Jesus now zooms it in a little bit closer, and, and he's asking the disciples, who do you say that I am? And in today's world, there's so much confusion about who Jesus really is. 
And so here's just a survey of sort of how different uh, world religions see who Jesus is. Islam says that Jesus is merely a prophet. Hinduism and the New Age movement say that Jesus is a spiritual guru. Buddhism doesn't say a whole lot about Jesus at all. Mormonism says Jesus is the spirit baby of the Father and Mother in heaven. Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus is the human form of Michael the Archangel. We could go on and on about our temptation to paint Jesus in our image and to, to redefine him rather than let him be just as the word reveals he is. Now here's the good news today. Jesus wants us to know who he is. And so now he, he takes the question, not who do people say, not what's the word around town about who I am. He kind of leans in, and, and in verse 15, the you is emphatic. What about you guys? Like, look right here. Who do you guys say that I am? And it's Simon Peter, the leader of the disciples, who speaks up. Simon Peter gets a lot of stuff wrong in the Gospels, right? You know, he's been called the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth because he was sticking his foot in there so much. But here... He nails it. He says, listen, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now look at verse 16. Everything Simon Peter says here is important. The, the title Messiah is in the Hebrew. Uh, Christ, they mean the same thing. It means to be anointed. One that's been anointed king. It's to recognize Jesus is the promised one. He is the one that God promised would come. When I was a kid, I thought that Christ was Jesus' last name. You know, he's like Mr. Christ, you know, Jesus Christ. And, but listen, it's a title that he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Christ, the Messiah. And so Peter's confession of Christ, he's like, you are the Messiah. It recognizes that everything that God had been promising about this one who would come, Jesus is the one who has come. He was a prophet, but he was so much more. He was a great teacher, but he is so much more. Jesus is the Christ, God himself, the promised Christ, the foretold Messiah. He has come to be the one and only son of the true living God. Now, I love how Jesus starts with this big question, you know, who, who do people say? And then he zeroes it down. And that's the question for all of us today. You know, where you are in your spiritual journey, who do you say that Jesus is? This first crucial question on the screen has everything to do with what it means to be saved. I've shared my story this week many, many times. And if you've not heard it yet, here's the summary. I never remember not knowing about Jesus. But knowing about him does not mean you are saved. You've got to recognize that you need him. That you are a sinner and trust in him. We talk a lot about uh, the good news of the gospel. Right? The, the word gospel literally means good news. Listen, what makes Jesus such good news is that the Bible also tells us such bad news. Right? The good news is about God. Uh, the bad news is most definitely about me and about you. The Bible says that all of us are sinners. We've fallen short of the glory of God. That sin is our failure to live lives that perfectly reflect God's character. Uh, he is the standard. The Bible says that we're born with a sinful nature, that our decision makers are bent away from the things of the Lord, from knowing God, from the will of God. And you don't have to walk around, look in the mirror, or watch the news very long before the evidence of our sinfulness is clear. Hate, lust, lying, stealing, selfishness, idolatry, pride, 
All those things and thousands more, we fall short of who God intends us to be. Now, if we don't have Jesus, the Bible says that our sinfulness carries a price tag that is eternal. That the wage of sin is death. The Bible uh, doesn't pull any punches by saying, listen, hell was prepared for Satan and his cronies. But those who reject Jesus ultimately choose to go there with Satan and his army. Isaiah 59.2 says that our sins have separated us from God. The idea of the wages of sin is death. That if you don't know Christ, you're, you're earning more and more judgment, more and more death. The Bible is clear that if we die in our sinful state, we'll be eternally separated from the loving presence of God. And I hope this morning you'd agree that is bad news. And aren't you glad that's not like the only part of the story, right? And so in the darkness and the bluntness of the bad news is this incredible offer of grace and the good news. From the opening stories of Genesis to the final scenes of Revelation, the Bible is proclaiming this incredible story that God took the initiative to make everything possible for us to have a right relationship with God. Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive sin, and he rose again to make right with God anyone who will just simply trust in him for salvation. At the sacrifice of Jesus, right? God so loved, he sent. And you may go, what was God thinking? Like, why, why did God do that? Because God is love. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. He just loves us anyway. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love. He proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so Peter identifies Jesus as the Messiah. Did Peter understand everything? No, in the very next passage, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, right? He didn't understand it all, but he understood enough to recognize who Jesus was. And so if you're here this morning, we're going to, this whole service moves towards a response time. And I'm going to be down front, and Bruce is going to be down front, and Joey's going to be down front. And we're not here just so you have somebody to look at. The hope would be that if you don't know Christ today, man, we'd love the chance to be able just to connect you to Jesus. And just simply to kind of be a, a tour guide of how it is that you can leave today having moved from death to life, from the darkness to the light, to you who is Jesus. Right, that's the first question. Question number two we find in verse 17 and following. It, it, the question, second question today is, who does Jesus say that you are? First question is, who is Jesus to you? Second question is, who does Jesus say that you are? From verse 17 and following, we get, the, we get the sense that Jesus gets rather fired up when we understand who he is. Amen? And so verse 17, he's like, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. He said, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And this incredible reminder here, right, so Jesus, Peter says, you are the son of the living God. Jesus says, yeah, you're son of some guy named Jonah, right? And so there's a parallel there of just as Jesus identified Peter and Simon, now Simon is rightly identifying Christ. And I love this here. It's not by human effort that we can open spiritual eyes. Listen, the Bible says that God draws us to himself. We've got to choose to respond. There's this tension there, but God draws us. He says, listen, Simon, you didn't just deduce this with your noggin, right? You didn't just figure this out. My Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. It's only with God's help that we come to faith. It's only with God's help that we grow in faith. Amen? 
It's this dependence upon who Jesus is. Verse 18, he continues, he says, I tell you that you are Peter. He gives him a new nickname, right? He's Simon Peter. This is the guy with both names and Jesus, a couple of his disciples. He sort of names different things, but here he names him Peter. And the word Peter is a word play in the Greek, and it means that he's a rock. Uh, now, you may think from watching Peter that it means he was hard-headed, and there may be some element of that there, right? And so people debate, though, what does it mean that Jesus is the rock? This is the first appearance of the word church in the New Testament. Now, most of the time in the Bible, when we read the word church, it's referring to individual congregations like First Baptist Church Clinton. It's the church in Galatians, in Corinthians, in Corinth, in Galatia. It's these different individual churches. But here there's kind of this idea of what theologians call the universal church. Right, this is all of God's people from all time. Jesus is assembling a body of believers from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And there's just such a comfort here. I mean, a couple folks have asked me this week, like, what's your, what's your strategy for church growth? And we've, we've talked through all that, but here's the deal. Jesus is the one who promises to build his church. Man, I praise the Lord for, for Randy Shipman, and I praise the Lord for every pastor that's been here, and I praise the Lord if God calls us here for however long we're here, but this church is never a man's church. And frankly, it's not your church. It's Jesus' church, right? And we just get to be stewards of what God wants to do in and through First Baptist Church, Clinton. Debate rages over the meaning of this rock. Right? And so some propose that when Jesus says, you're Peter, and on this rock, this is where Roman Catholicism builds the idea that Peter was the first pope. Right? And so we typically don't go there with that, though we recognize that Jesus used Peter in some powerful ways. The second option is that when he says, you're the rock, that Jesus is saying essentially like, you are Peter, and on this rock. Some scholars say, well, Jesus maybe just pointed to himself. And the New Testament, we see that there, right? That Jesus says in 1 Corinthians 3.11 that he is the foundation, that he is the cornerstone. The one the, building, the builders rejected has become this cornerstone that Jesus is the foundation. And the third option is that the rock is Peter's confession of faith. And we see, like, you can build that case because it is absolutely by faith, by grace through faith that we are saved. And, and I, in all honesty, I, I don't know how to know exactly which one it is, right? But, but and it may be that we, there's a combination of the three because we see all three. We see that Jesus is the foundation clearly later in the New Testament. We see that Peter is absolutely, Jesus' plan for Peter was that he's a foundation layer for the New Testament church that goes throughout the centuries. Is he the first pope? No. Was he important? Yeah, he was, right? Day of Pentecost. I mean, what God does through Peter is amazing. And then Peter himself in 1 Peter chapter 2 says that all of us believers, that we're like living stones that are being built together into a spiritual house for the Lord. So question one is, who is Jesus to you? Question two is, who does Jesus say that you are? Prior to Jesus, Simon Peter's identity was a fisherman, right? So, you know, it was so often we equate what we do with who we are. If I'm like, well, who are you? Well, I'm a, I'm a construction worker or I'm a doctor. And we just kind of, that's part of how we define who we are. And so people are like, I'm a fisherman, right? And my, my friends, you know, James and John and sons of Zebedee. And we, man, we have a great fishing business on the Sea of Galilee and all is well and hunky-dory and it's great. But Jesus messed everything up for Peter's plans, 
right? Jesus comes along and he says, Peter, follow me. And in that moment, everything for Simon Peter begins to change. And I don't want you to miss the principle here. I would say that you will never really know who you are until you know who Jesus is. Right? It's after he, you, are, you are the Christ. You're the, you are Jesus. All right, now let me tell you who you are. And it seems counterintuitive to, to find who you are by getting more and more lost in who Christ is. But that's how the Bible says that it works. Trusting Christ in salvation fundamentally changes who we are. It says we're like a new creation, that the old disappears, the new has come. We were an old person, now we're a new person. And so the greater our understanding of who Jesus is, the greater assurance we're going to have of who we are and who God has called us to be. When I was in college, uh, I uh, was, was newer to having surrendered my life to Christ. And so God was working on my life. But the problem is when you come to Christ... You don't forget all the sinful things you did immediately before that. Like, it's not like a blank slate, right? And so, God, I, was, I had the Holy Spirit. I had Christ. But I was struggling to sort of bring my mind and my heart in alignment with that. And I was really struggling with, well, like, who am I now? Who, who am I now? And so, the Bible that I used in college, I went through the entire New Testament. And everywhere that I found a statement about identity in Christ... I would underline it in red and put an I in the margin and circle it. And then what would happen is when I would begin to struggle, I could open up my Bible and I could flip through to those identity things and remind myself, I don't have to define myself. God has told me who I am. I just need to be reminded by his word. Well, what did that look like? How did that work? Well, here's a couple examples. And whenever I'd have amnesia of identity, you know, of Christian identity, um, when I felt clueless, John 15 reminds us that Jesus is the true vine and we are the branches. As we abide in him, we're going to know how to pray. We're going to be able to love. We're going to have joy complete, all these things. And so I don't have to have it all together. I just need to abide in Christ. Whenever I forget what life was all about, what's the purpose of it? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 would remind me that I'm called to be an ambassador for Christ. That those that God has reconciled to himself, by definition, you, if you have been reconciled to Jesus, you're now a reconciler, right? We've been called to be ambassadors for Christ. Whenever I have a, a sense of worthlessness, 1 Corinthians 6 reminds me that God so loved that he purchased me from sin and death with the very blessed, precious life of Jesus Christ. That's how much he loves. That's, those are all things that of who Jesus says. And I can go on and on with the things that I underline. But I, I want to remind us today, as good as coming to faith is, that's not the end of the journey. That's the beginning of the journey. So, yes, who is Jesus to you? You've got to know who Christ is. But then you've got to immediately begin growing in who God says that you are. Question one, who is Jesus to you? Question two, who does Jesus say that you are? And before we get to question three, look at verse 18. Just a couple things that I don't want us to miss this morning. The end of verse 18, Jesus says that the gates of Hades will not overcome his church. And this is kind of weird. We've looked at some houses as we've tried to understand the area. And I've not seen a single fence gate on the move. 
They, right? Gates are defensive, not offensive. And so how does this work that the gates will not overcome the church? Well, in the first century, uh, the strength of your city was largely contingent upon the wall around your city, and the way in and out was the gate. And so it's this symbol of the power of the city and the gates of Hades. Hades reach back, reaches back to, to Greek culture and the idea of the realm of the dead and, and all that goes with that. And so what Jesus is saying here is that the, the powers of death, the powers of Satan are simply puny in light of the power that we have in Jesus Christ. I think Jesus also has in mind here spiritual warfare. Jesus tells us that in this world we will have trouble. Right now, he also says in the very next verse that take heart, he has overcome the world. But in this world, we're going to have times of trouble. We are sin-prone people living in a sin-sick creation where our, our sinful flesh tries to pull us back to who we were before Christ. The culture around us is in rebellion against Christ. And Satan is ever eager to help us be deceived and be discouraged. And, and Jesus taught us to pray for deliverance from the evil one. And so I know, like, things happen politically in a nation. Things happen in the world. And we start thinking, well, is the church going to be okay? Listen, local churches may struggle. Believers may struggle. The church is going to be just fine and dandy until Jesus comes. Because he's building an eternal, invincible body of believers. God's people in the end will be victorious. How do we know that? Because Jesus is the victor. And it's him who saved us, him who's called us, him who empowers us, him who guards us, and him who's promised to build his people. Question three, verse 19. What are you here for? What's your purpose? What, what are you here for? And so what Jesus says to Peter here as he's saying, Peter, here's who I want you to be, Simon Peter. There's an incredible implication for you and for me. Verse 19, Jesus says to Peter, right, this whole confession thing, in the very next breath, Jesus says, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven. And we've had the privilege this week of staying in Galen Doty's lodge. And so when Galen took us there to tell us where it was, he's like, here's the keys. And so when we get to the lodge, you need the key to get in the door, right? That's how keys work. They unlock things. And so the picture here, the emphasis Jesus is, is focusing on here is the idea of entering into the kingdom, right? So, so what does it mean for a person to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And just a few chapters later in Matthew 23... Jesus rips the Pharisees. He challenges the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and says, listen, y'all are locking the door to the kingdom. And that's not what God is all about. The Lord's not about keeping people out of his kingdom. The Lord's about bringing people into his kingdom. And so he says here, Peter, listen, to you I give the keys of the kingdom. Well, what, what are these keys? Are they just for Peter or are they for all of us? Again, theologians differ. I think they're for all of us. I think the keys are, are, are a metaphor for the fact that God has entrusted the good news of the gospel to every believer. 
He's given the keys of the kingdom. All this stuff about binding and, and loosing and, and all that cool stuff goes back to some, some Judaism thoughts of the day. But the whole idea is that these keys are going to, you know, we pray, God, would you bring your, um, would you make it on, on earth as it is in heaven? The gospel is what brings that about the gospel is that goes from person to person, not just to save us, but as we go deeper into what it means to live in the freedom of this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. As I stated a moment ago, the, the gospel is this. Like, what is the gospel? Like, here's, here's the keys to the kingdom. Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins. And he rose again to make right with God every person who will trust in him. That's what saves us, and that is what we're called to share Listen, as good as the family of fellowship is here at First Baptist Clinton, this church's mission is not just for people that are already here. That's part of it. But it's also for people that are not yet here, not yet in the kingdom, who've not yet grown, who've not yet become everything that God wants them to be. That's the glorious journey of what it is to be in a local church when I was a student pastor in Texas, uh, we had a kind of eccentric youth worker named Troy. I don't know if Troy would ever, will ever hear this sermon, but he will agree with that statement. So Troy was just kind of a, a squirrely guy, phenomenal youth worker. And so Troy had a brand new bright orange Corvette. And I like it super nice. And so one day we're in the parking lot, and I don't know if I was looking longingly at the Corvette or what the deal was, but he's like, you want to drive it, don't you? You know, and so I'm like, let me pray about it. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, I would love. And so there's this moment where Troy and I are in the parking lot, and he holds out his keys, and he like jingles them at me. He's like, hey, man, you want to drive? And so next thing I know, we're driving down I-20 between Arlington and Fort Worth, and Troy's next to me like, you're a chicken, like floor it. Like, why are you going so slow? And I'm like, ah, you know, and we're driving. But here is the point, right? How does the gospel of Matthew end? It ends with the Great Commission. Flip over to the Great Commission real quick, or if you know it by heart, just think about it. And ask yourself this question. How does the Great Commission begin? How does the Great Commission begin? And here's how it doesn't begin. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Okay, look at it. Look at Matthew 28, verse 18. And so it begins not with what we're supposed to do. The Great Commission, the mission for every local church and every believer, it begins with Jesus' authority. And so he says, listen, guys, here's the deal. Here's the Great Commission. First... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What is Jesus doing with that statement? He is jingling the keys of the gospel to you and me and saying, therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, the neighbors, the nations, everybody in between. See them come to faith. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But it's not just about conversion. It's about discipleship, Christ's likeness. So after they come to faith, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. And about that time we go, wow, that is an awfully big task. Jesus says, listen, hey, it's okay. I will be with you. I will be with you till the very end of the age. I will be with you until the mission is done. 
our worship team is going to come and lead us in a song of response. But as they come, look at Matthew 16, 20. Because it's weird. It's just a weird end to the passage. Right here I am talking about how much we're supposed to tell the world about Jesus. But here in Matthew 16, verse 20, this passage ends with Jesus saying, now listen, shh, like don't tell anybody. Right? Who, and that's weird. Like, you know, what Jesus tells us not to tell people. Now, Jesus had his reasons and people were struggling to understand who he is. But in the, like, here's the deal. Everything Jesus told the disciples to do, we've now been clearly commanded, or not to do, we've now clearly been commanded to do. Listen, we are called to share the good news. It's been said the good news of the gospel came to us on the way to someone else. That's the joy of not just being saved, but being somebody who is sharing. And so the full scope of Jesus' mission is still unfolding, but not for us. We have the joy of knowing, living in, and telling others how to be a part of. As the hymn says, the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Now listen, I, we're going to meet at 3 p.m. There will be a vote. I get all that. But none of that matters in this moment. I want you to look at those three questions on the screen. I'm going to pray for us. And the question is just simply, is there one of those that God is dealing with your heart today on? Is there something God is speaking into in your life where maybe you're here and you're like, you know what, I don't know Christ. Goodness, I would love for that to be the first conversation you and I have deep. Let's, let's talk about Jesus today. Maybe today it's just, no, God's bumping me along. I'm taking my next step in what it means to know him. I know there's folks here who are uh, getting ready to sell houses and go to the mission field and stuff. It may be that God is transitioning what it looks like for you to simply say, I want to fully embrace in a new way the mission of telling the world about Jesus. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are. Father, as we come to this moment of, of singing an incredible song of response, this idea, Lord, that, that we become people who are not after making ourselves bigger. We're after getting smaller so that Jesus can be bigger and bigger in our lives, Lord. And so, Father, this, this confession of Christ, would you be magnified, Lord? It's, it's, it's a prayer request that you would do that in us. It's also a declaration of intent that we want to be people in whom others can see Jesus. So, Father, today, is it that we need to come to know you in a saving way? Is it that you want us to know who you say we are more? Is it that you've called us to further embrace what we're here for? God, as we sing this song, would you speak to every heart? If it's a come forward kind of conversation, God, give people the courage and move them to do that. If it's a have a conversation in their seat, Father, just meet us where we are in these moments as we respond. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So church, would you stand this morning? These altars are open for prayer. Um, we'll have some pastors and leaders down front. would love a chance to be able to encourage you this morning as we sing.
His name.